0: to adventure rider radio
1: hello here's herbert Schwarz from turotech in southern germany and you're listening to adventure rider radio
0: You may have heard the name Touratech, but what you haven't heard is the name behind it, Herbert Schwartz. Today, you're going to hear his story. So I'm speaking with Herbert Schwartz, who is the CEO and founder of Touratech and a world traveler from well, a long time ago now. Herbert, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. Where in Germany are you now, Herbert?
1: From southern Germany, from the Black Forest.
0: So, Herbert, you had mentioned that you started riding back in 1980 uh, with your first motorcycle. Can you tell us what drove you to a motorcycle or what attracted you to the motorcycle to begin with?
1: Yeah, the first thing was I had a girlfriend that was living 1,000 kilometers away from the place I were living these days. And the motorcycle for me was the cheapest and the fastest possibility to meet her and after a while when I went to the Bretagne from Germany Friday thousand kilometers and on Sunday the next thousand I discovered motorcycle riding is more than just making distances.
0: So in the thousand kilometers that you're obviously driven to ride for another reason you, you discover that the, the motorcycles is something special.
1: Yeah, for me, it was something special. You could feel the rain, you could feel the heat, you could feel everything. It made you yeah a lot different to taking a train or a car.
0: Now, were you traveling before this in other means, hiking or driving?
1: Yeah, I used trains a lot. Uh, with my parents we used buses my parents never made the driving license like that we use public transport that was okay but for me the motorcycle gave me the freedom just to go wherever I like to go
0: so it gave you the means to explore further and and after getting used to your you know this uh, this tiny bike that you're riding a thousand kilometers where'd it take you from there
1: yeah, from this experience with a 125cc bike, I changed to a 550 Suzuki, a two stroke, three cylinder one. But um, I had a fuel tank only with 13 liters that made a range of 100 kilometers with one fuel tank. And I discovered that it would be great to have larger fuel tanks. And I bought jerry cans and a lot of things like that because in France, this time, the service stations, the gas stations, were closed at night.
0: What happened after that?
1: Yeah, after that, I bought a, an old BMW, an R100-7. That was not my dream bike. I dreamt uh, of an R80 GS, but it was too expensive. I got this used bike, and it brought me to a lot of countries, to Northern Europe, to the UK, Syria to Turkey, yeah, Bulgaria to Jordan, yeah, it brought me everywhere I wanted to go in Europe.
0: So that was really the bike that got you, you know, doing the international motorcycle travel?
1: Yeah, that was really the first one that I decided that traveling is what I want to do, not only making distances.
0: What drove you to go and explore Africa with your motorcycle?
1: The first years I traveled always to Northern Europe and it was raining, raining, raining. And a friend of mine said to me, yeah, now we have looked to the Paris-Dakar on television. That's the place to go. You see, they can go from Paris to Dakar with no problems. And we decided just to start in Africa with a trip in Morocco in 1984. And for me, it was really, really great. No rain, nice people, and a lot of mountains, sand, and all different things to Europe. So at this point, you fall
0: in love with Africa as a destination?
1: Yeah. For me, it was the beginning of a really of a friendship with a new continent. And till today, it's my favorite continent all over the world.
0: At this point you're uh, very much into traveling by motorcycle that's become a part of what you are and and who you are and you said that you're you discovered that what you want to really do is travel. How did you not end up as a a, a travel journalist instead ended up starting Touratech?
1: Yeah, in the beginning, I was a little bit a travel journalist. I worked for motora, the German motorcycle magazine as a photographer. I made some stories about my trips through Africa, but on these trips, I realized that a lot of parts are missing on the bike and that the panniers I had that were BMW plastic panniers. They failed during the trips through Algeria, through unpaved roads. And I started to make my own luggage racks, my own aluminum panniers, and I made a little motorcycle computers that was based on a bicycle computer just to give me more details on my trips to have more functionality than the instruments that I had on my BMW. Yeah, after a while, friends of mine asked me, where have you bought these parts? I said, no, I haven't bought them. I made them for my own. And they asked me just to do it for them as well. And that was the early beginning of Touratech in I think in the middle of the 80s, end of the 80s, and in 1990, finally, I created the company Turrotech.
0: What were you doing for a living at that point?
1: Uh, for a living, I was working as an electronic engineer in a company here in the surrounding for time recording machines. And yeah, for me, it was quite interesting, the job, but not my dream job.
0: When you start a company doing something that you love to do, it can sometimes become just more, um, it can sort of dull the excitement for your passion that that originally started out. That didn't happen with you. No, for me, I
1: started with Touratech and I was sure and, uh, and I thought to myself, I will immediately stop the company when I don't have the possibility to travel anymore or if I lose the passion for traveling, but that never happened. I always had time to go to Africa, to different continents, to travel, to make new experiences, to test our products. Yeah, until now, I'm doing it, and it's still my passion, and I never use a car or some other vehicles.
0: And you're saying that you're you're going out at least once a year on some sort of trip somewhere.
1: That's right. Yeah, At least once a year, we are doing a trip of at least one month. And we are looking on the map where we haven't been before or where the political situation has changed or yeah, where big changes made. And we try to go there. And most of the time, it's really taking place.
0: And you're not traveling by yourself anymore. You're traveling with your wife and your two kids.
1: Yeah, I met my wife eight years ago in Seattle, in the U.S., and till the first trip we made together, it was an off-road trip from Canada to Mexico, we are traveling together. Every time we're traveling together, and once a year we are going with our kids, they're now six and seven years old, taking a sidecar bike, and Ramona is taking her own bike. Yeah, and then We go, we've been two times to Canada now, we've traveled a lot in Europe, we've been to New Zealand. Yeah, a little bit all over the world as well. But once a year, beside the trips with the family, we are doing a trip, a real adventure trip, only the two of us, sometimes with friends.
0: Well you'd mentioned to me that the kids have probably done sixty thousand kilometers on the motorcycle so far on adventures. That's pretty amazing for a six and seven year old.
1: Yes, and uh they really love it. And now we had a hard winter here in Germany. We stopped riding with motorcycle, we took the car to to bring them to school, but they're asking me every day, Pa, can you bring us to school with a sidecar? <laughs>
0: They don't want to ride in the car. Well, that's great. Yeah. That's a that's a good thing for them to grow up with, isn't it? Yeah, they really, really love it. I'm curious. What what is it like to get them started on it? Was it difficult to to get them interested and keep them interested when they're getting on the um, or in the sidecar?
1: No, not at all. We started traveling when they were really, really very young, maybe some weeks old, six weeks, I think. We started in the to to ride bicycle with the kids in the trailer through the black forest. And they were used for this kind of of movement. And when we had the first bike with the sidecar, they were really, really into it. They sit there and they never wanted to go out. They never complained, even if it was raining or the trip was too long. They never complained
0: cycling is a big part of your life as well
1: that's right just for physical education for for us for the parents but now the kids they started riding bicycles for three years and they love it and we took their little bicycles uh, on a little rack on the sidecar as well and we made a little rest they took their bicycles then they had their contrast program to the motorcycle riding
0: by the time these kids are old enough to ride, they may be a couple of the most experienced people on the planet because I don't know of anyone who starts this young. <laughs> That's
1: right. But they are not riding motorcycles till now. They're riding really good on bicycles. And for me, I think it's the best way to, to get trained if you, you have more control of your bike on a bicycle than on a motorcycle.
0: Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say that, and um, one was Simon Pavey. When I talked with him some time ago, he had mentioned that he's very much into mountain biking and uh, clearly sees the connection between the two. A lot of people are saying, not only for physical exercise, but what you're saying, the the balance and control of the motorcycle, using your brakes and and your your pedals to do similar things to what we're doing on the motorcycle.
1: Yeah, that's right. And for the kids, maybe in some years they want to try motorcycles, but... I have some friends, they brought their kids, I think, too early on motorcycles, and when they got, the kids, when they got 18, they said, oh, I've seen everything, I made everything with my motorcycle, I had every bone broken, and they stopped, and they got couch potatoes from this time on, when they <laughs> turned 18.
0: I was going to say, isn't that sort of uh, something that all teenagers go through anyway? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to when you were saying about um, you first made your panniers, some friends asked you to make some parts. Uh, That wasn't all that long ago. And all of a sudden, like Tourtech is this massive company making all these incredible parts for adventure motorcycles. That's a huge jump. Were you arriving somewhere at the right time in the right place? Or or what went from just uh, giving your friends a couple of, of panniers for their bikes to what you have now?
1: Yeah I think it it really was the the best time to start with it but at the end if I look back I think Touratech created a little bit this adventure type of riding the style and yeah even BMW looked always what we are doing and asked us for help with ideas to create adventure bikes
0: I think I remember reading that that you may have been the first person to test ride the, the F800GS. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. I got an F800GS two years before it was launched, and we took this bike on a trip, only my wife and myself, around Lake Victoria. And yeah, that was quite interesting because it was one of the early prototypes and yeah, after the trip, we could give BMW some ideas what has to be improved on the bike before they launched it in 2008.
0: So that's a big deal, you know, to have a manufacturer come to you and, and ask you to sort of weigh in with your opinion on what was happening with the bike. Was that the first time they'd done that?
1: Uh, for us, it was the first time, and I think they've never done it before with other people. But from this time on with the F800GS, we got always early models from the was the G650 Cross Challenge, it was the HP2 that we got earlier, the 1200GS, 1200GS Adventure, and the new water-cooled versions as well. For us, it was always really like a compliment when we got the bikes before, just to make final testing in real travel conditions.
0: And also, you're you're looking at them and you're making parts for them. I'm sure you're measuring things up and, and getting things ready to be tooled to produce any hard parts for it.
1: Yeah, that's right. We had the possibility, but we also have the possibility to make parts before the launch because we are developing parts for the BMW as well that they are selling under the brand name of BMW.
0: So, Herbert, how do you do all this and still find time to go ride? I don't understand how you can get away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's not that I'm doing all. We have here in Germany, in Niederesha, we have 320 people. And everyone has to do something that means I can go away.
0: <laughs> so you're lucky enough to, to squeak away and get some time.
1: Yeah, it's the good team behind Israeli. And with my partner Jochen, who joined Touratech five years after I founded it, It's a really, really good friendship and a good balance here at Torotank that we are two CEOs or two bosses that can decide whatever we are doing. And it works. Not that we are not fighting, but we always find a solution. And it works since more than 20 years.
0: When you're planning your next adventure and you're looking at uh, you know the next trip, well, you've got several trips, obviously, you're doing a year here because you're talking about going on trips with your kids and then with just you and, and your wife. When you're looking for your next adventure, how do you decide where to go?
1: I'm looking on a map. I'm reading the news of the world. I'm thinking about places where I've never been before, where it would be interesting to to ride, to meet the people, to talk to the people, how they are living. That's how we find the places where to go. And for the trips with the kids, now we are looking because they are in school. We have only the six weeks in summer. We are looking a little bit in Europe where we've never before or where we would like to be with the kids.
0: And I guess when it comes to planning trips for the kids, safety obviously is a huge concern for you. And that has to dictate the countries that you're planning to go to.
1: Yeah, that's that's right. And we will never go to countries where it's too risky to be or where civil wars are taking place, things like that. We are not into conflicts. We want to meet the people and we don't want to decide whether they or the others are the better people.
0: Earlier, you'd mentioned to me that traveling for you is, is really meeting the people. Is that still what you do? You're you're going places and you're interested in finding out about the culture and the people in these places that you're visiting?
1: Yeah, 100%. And it's really, we're going there, we stop, we talk to the people, we are living, we're camping in little villages where we have the chance to talk to the people in the evening just to see how they are living and we are also talking about us, how we are living in in Europe, and it's it's quite interesting the questions they have, the questions we have,
0: but after a while, it's new friends. So it's something you consciously do when you're going somewhere. How do you go into a new place and find the the starting point to sort of get to know people?
1: Um, we're just travelling, stopping, and looking wherever we can find people or at the gas station or wherever we are. But for the beginning of a trip, we mostly use countries where we have an importer and the importer can help us a little bit to get the bikes out of customs and prepare them a little bit that we can arrive and, and leave after maybe two
0: days. Oh, I see so that saves you a lot of messing around time where you end up arriving in a country and trying to you know spend a couple of weeks getting your bikes out of customs and so it makes it so that your trip is is all about the trip rather than the the messing around with the bike shipping,
1: yeah in the past, I had a a lot of problems at borders frontiers at airports at harbors. I remember I think I waited two weeks for my bike in Mombasa in Kenya because the ship was changing plans, they wanted to go through the the canal uh, in Egypt, but then they they decided to go around Africa. And I had to wait to wait every day, I had to go back to the harbor, ask where my bikes are, and at the end they arrived completely uh, dirty, they were on top of the deck and flooded with salt water and they looked really crappy. (laughs) And did it run? They run, yeah, but with some electrical problems. But I'm electrical engineer. We solved all problems.
0: Uh, well, that's always handy and not available to everyone. I hear <laughs> people talk yeah. about the Darien Gap, when, when they're crossing the Darien Gap, and there's, a, I think, at least one boat that um, straps them above deck. And I've read there that people are saying that... They have had their bikes arrived, encrusted in salt water sort of thing. And, uh, and of course, anyone who's had any experience with salt water and electrical, well, they don't mix very well.
1: That's right. And I think the, the boat or a container is not the best uh, possibility to bring a bike to another place. The plane is a lot better. And if you have enough time, then you can get the good price.
0: Y- y- the plane's better because y- do you find that it also clears customs faster?
1: Yeah, it's faster. In an airport, it's always faster. Why is that? I don't know really, but I think in a harbor where containers arrive, they have more times The people are not so much under pressure, like in an airport where they, where they pay extra money to get it faster. But I don't, I don't know if that's really the reason.
0: Yeah, I've heard other people say this and that often uh, it's it's markedly slower anytime it r- arrives in a shipping terminal as opposed to an airport. Someone has mentioned to me that it, it could be that they don't have the storage capacity in the airport so they tend to hustle to get things moved out faster. But it's an interesting thing to note if you're planning on shipping your bike somewhere.
1: You have to have time if you take the boat and if you take the plane it's yeah, it's faster, really faster and you don't have to
0: wait. So what you're doing now is you're shipping your bike over somewhere. You have someone, one of your importers, pick it up, um, sort out all the details. And basically, you're arriving to have your bike ready to go. And you're, you're bringing your camping gear with you, I assume?
1: Yeah. But even in the plane, you have the possibility just to have everything packed on your bike. We have our helmets. We have the riding gear in bags on the bike, on the seat. We have... The camping gear, we have the panniers with our equipment, everything is in place. And we only have to to connect the battery to fill up the fuel tank, and that's it.
0: It sounds very efficient, but I guess you went through trial and error to see what works the best for you.
1: Yeah, but for me, it changed a lot. From the very beginning, I had a lot too much with me. Nowadays, most of the things I need is the camera gear and uh, the uh, computer and power supply things, and one pannier, maybe half is with underwear and clothes, pants, and things like that. And Ramona has all the the camping gear, the stove, the the pots, the, the cups, and things like that. But we need only two small panniers, the smallest we have, and one bag on the back with a tent, sleeping bag, mattresses, things like that.
0: Are you finding that you're bringing everything you need or are you just picking things up on the way, in other words, especially when it comes to clothing?
1: Yeah, I think I can take all I need with me. Sometimes I find nice things and then I buy it and give away things I brought with me just to in an exchange. But I really don't need a lot. It's getting less and less the more we are traveling
0: and when you're traveling together, are you riding the same bike, the same model?
1: Uh, no. Sometimes, yes. In uh, New Zealand, for example, we both had the new BMW twelve hundred GS. I had it as a with a sidecar, Ramona solo bike. But in the beginning, she used the six hundred and fifty Cross Challenge because of the weight. I used the eight hundred GS. Then with the HP two that I used, she also had the G six hundred and fifty cross-challenged, and sometimes I use the 1200 Adventure, she used an 800. It depends what's available from BMW, what's new, and what she likes to ride.
0: When it comes to breakdowns, repairs, anything like that, the the idea of running with two similar bikes, that, that doesn't matter for you?
1: No, that doesn't matter. You know, if I was traveling in the 80s or in the 90s, I had... Our 80 GS, our 100 GSs, and I had a lot of spare parts with me. And I had to use them. I had uh, some electronic parts, the ignition, things like that, and the membrane from the carburetors, some parts for the carburetors, and I always had problems during riding. Then it was useful to have equal bikes. But nowadays, with more electronics, the less problems we had. and. Once in Madagascar we had a problem with a broken uh, switch, This was a kill switch and we found a repair shop for for cell phones, for mobile phones, and they repaired everything really perfect, like they did did in the past with mechanical things. Uh, I don't take any spare parts with me, some bolts, that's all.
0: Do you think that's the modern motorcycle, or do you think it's BMW specific that gives you that ability to do that? No, I
1: think it's the modern motorcycle, it's not specific for BMW.
0: It's interesting, Herbert, because I, like, I know you're an electrical engineer, so you're not afraid of electricity. Most people are. And when we talk about bikes with a, a lot of electrical components, you can just see the sweat break out on people's forehead when they think of riding this bike into, into areas around the world. But do you think that the bikes and the world has changed so that we just don't have to worry about that anymore? I mean, for the average person? I think that's right. The
1: less mechanical parts the bike has, the less can break, and the electronic is yeah it can fail of course. But sometimes it's only to reboot it and then it's working again. And if you have problems on electrical parts, it's mostly the mechanical component inside these part, and on these you can repair.
0: Many people say that um, they will go with something like a KLR650 because it has a a carburetor and they like the simplicity of the carburetor and they don't have to worry about the fuel injection system. But fuel injection has been around for a long time and it is virtually foolproof. Of course, there's there's fuel pump issues, but the same as you would get with a mechanical version um, of that the electronics have become extremely durable. I mean, even look at our, um, our electronic ignition. So the CDI ignition has been around for such a long time that no one even considers that when they're talking about electrical components. So it's, it's the quality in those components that's really increased. Yeah,
1: in the beginning, when they started with electronic components, they, they failed a lot. In the years, they looked to all the little problems and they improved everything and nowadays, and the carburetor has, I don't know how many parts, and all of them can, can break or make problems. The injection valve is nothing special. Nothing can break.
0: So let me ask you this, Herbert. Does the reliability of these motorcycles that we're riding nowadays, does that change the experience? Because... In the past, you had to be a mechanic or at least some sort of mechanic. You had to know a little bit about electrical. You had to be willing to get your hands dirty, get in there and repair your motorcycle. And are we becoming more of um, operators of an appliance uh, rather than this, this integral part of this machine that we ride? Yeah, I
1: would agree with this. But... Sometimes you have little accidents. You yeah in the sand you drop your bike away, and then you have the same problems like yeah you had before. You have to go to a mechanic uh, workshop, and you have to talk to the people that they can uh, help you to repair, to to bend it, to weld it. And yeah, it's it's always been great to to meet the people when they yeah could weld you something or help you with repairing a gearbox or changing a a clutch or something like that. But you still have this possibility, you still have enough problems if you're really riding in remote areas.
0: Yeah, I guess, you know, it could be something simple like a, you know, tire problems or whatever, but they're definitely more reliable. You're definitely seeing that less, you know, even tires have gotten better, not just electronics, the whole design of the bike. And because of that, because our, our safety aspects of our motorcycle, including ABS brakes, the traction that's available, the handling of the suspension, we tend to be able to speed up. We can ride faster. We can move faster and cover more distance. That in itself changes how we see the world.
1: That's right, but you always have to take care. The newest generation of, for example, because I know these bikes pretty good, the new 1200 GS. It's so good in off road. It's so good on on road, and it makes you faster. That that's highly risky. If you're traveling, you feel safe. But if something is happening, it's it's really more serious. The the damages the. The problems you can get. You always have to, to slow down and think about that it's not the best idea just to ride so fast. And second, you have to think about the people if you're in the remote areas, you have a lot of animals on the road, the, the children, the people, other uh, vehicles. You always have to think about that and take it slow, makes it better for the whole journey.
0: I'm glad you mentioned the people, because I think that's something um, to note. The fact that when we're buzzing through these places, the people in some of the cultures have not changed a lot as far as technology. And of course, they're still walking along the side of the road as we're increasing our speeds more and more. So I think that's a very good point for people to think about is the other people out there in the areas that we're going through. Yeah.
1: Please, yeah, every time you have to think about the people and that... If you're passing slow, they can wave, they can greet, they can stop you, they can talk to you. If you are riding at 100 kilometers per hour, they they will get angry if there are too many tourists.
0: And that's why I was talking about speed and technology, because uh, you can go even further and say our clothing that we have now is so good. Um, it keeps us warm and dry and all these places. And we're able to cover more distance. And it was someone was telling me not long ago about um, the reason for not getting a, a larger gas tank in their mind was that they like the stops. They, they like those breaks where they're actually pulling in somewhere and they're, they're talking to people. It, it would be easy to fall into that the speed feels so great where it changes changes the experience and that's why I was mentioning or asking you about this changing our experience as we go through remote places in the world the faster you go the less you see and, and it sort of goes against the whole point of riding a motorcycle to begin with
1: yeah that's right but with the big fuel tank it's for me it's different you always have to take every gas station every fuel station to refill but if you can't find one or if they're running out of gas then you have the extra fuel with you. That's for me the reason that I, I love big fuel tanks. And the second point for bigger fuel tanks is that you can make your stops your brakes wherever you want and not only at the gas station.
0: And if you get a long stretch, which I'm, I think everybody has ridden a bike has had stretches, well maybe even in cars as well, but where you're pushing it and you you've skipped a gas station and well you're you're running on fumes. It's that's a pretty stressful situation. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. About safety, I remember reading uh, about research that was done with some taxi drivers when they brought out uh, ABS brakes, and I guess what they did is they installed the ABS brakes in the taxi cabs. And you would automatically, your assumption would be that it reduced uh, risk of accident or reduced accidents and incidents. But what they found was that the accident rate didn't increase. It stayed exactly the same. The incident rate stayed exactly the same. But what did increase was the speed the drivers were driving, the um, pressure they put on the brakes. They were braking harder and faster, leaving it later to the end. And so really what they came up with was the fact that we're eating up uh, the safety margin that we gain, and, and it tends to be from according to this research that I read, it tends to be a, a, a human mindset that every time we 're given a little extra, a little space, a little bit of security, we tend to eat that up so we 're back to the same degree of safety that we were before the invention, and that 's what we have to be careful of with our motorcycles.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. We always have to take care that we don't ride faster because the bike is faster more safe you feel better no take the speed that is good for you for the people that is good for traveling and not the maximum speed that you feel good on the bike
0: so uh- Here's a question that comes up a lot, is defining the word adventure. Now, some people will say the word adventure is overused. I mean, I had someone mention to me that you can do adventure shopping now. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. it's, it's, certainly, it's certainly a word people are using a lot now. So, Herbert, how would you define adventure? And is adversity and time required for it?
1: Yeah, adventure for me is uh, when you go... To a place where you don't know
0: what will happen
1: if uh, the next day is not planned, if you have new experiences every day. Adventure cannot be planned. Adventure is yes, yeah, something unknown, something that you are open to discover.
0: And is adversity required? Do you need the breakdowns and the problems to really make it a true adventure?
1: You can make your breaks uh, wherever you like. It's not really necessary that you break down, but in my whole career as a motorcycle rider, I had at least 150 to 100 flat tires, and that always gives you the possibility to talk to the people. I remember years ago, it was in China, in Tibet, I had in an altitude of 5,000 meters with a temperature of, I think, minus 5 degrees, two flat tires at the same time, and I only had a little hand pump with me. I stopped, I tried to fix the first one, the front tire it was with a tube inside. I glued it and people were coming and coming. And at the end, I had about 15 helping people, and they were fighting a little bit who was next, who pumped up my tire. And we had a lot of fun. It took me three, four hours. The night was arriving. But it was, it was great for me, it was an adventure because next morning, and then I pitched up my tank, next morning I woke up in this beautiful surrounding in the Himalaya mountains and with people around that they helped me in the evening of the last day.
0: Yeah, often I hear this where everyone agrees that breakdowns are sort of a a doorway to some greater adventure, which is why I asked about that, that definition of adventure.
1: I think the adventure is really something that you can't uh, cannot plan.
0: So unplanned and it doesn't necessarily have to be a specific time. You feel that you can have an adventure in a short period of time just as you can in a long period?
1: Yeah, that doesn't matter. It can be Maybe even in the Black Forest, if you're with your bicycle, you can have an adventure. Um, and if you are riding two, or three years around the world, of course, you have more adventures during this ride.
0: With your day-to-day work right now, um, when you're saying you're going out a couple of times a year, you're still riding every day, though, going to work? You're not, um, uh, you haven't sort of fallen totally into the corporate culture?
1: Now, I'm not riding every day because the house where I'm living is only 200 meters from Touratech, like that I (laughs) that's there. It's pretty
0: convenient.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That does make sense to use the bike. But now when it's getting a little bit warmer here in southern Germany, then I will take the bike every day to bring the kids to school. And if I go to a business meeting, most of the time I use my bike and yeah, then I'm even on the freeway, I'm dreaming of riding the bike and I'm enjoying it.
0: And what's your next adventure?
1: Next adventure probably will be with the kids in summer, in August. And we're not really sure, but probably we'll go to Greece, passing some countries of from Yugoslavia, through Croatia, to through Slovenia, through Albania, and then to Greece to meet friends there and to just to enjoy the mountains the mediterranean sea there to just to meet people that we met before when we were in greece with the kids two years ago
0: the other thing i wanted to ask you about was photography because i know you're an avid photographer um, what do you do with your photographs
1: uh, ramona is writing articles for some adventure magazines in germany in europe in some other countries but most of it is for our catalog. And sometimes we're doing a little book for yes, just for friends, not for, to sell it.
0: And where does the listener find out more about you if they want to follow your adventures and what you're doing?
1: A good possibility is on Facebook. If you're looking for herbert.turentech, then you see Herbert Schwartz. And I make some posts a week. Just there you can follow if we are away for a trip, or you can yeah, follow on YouTube. We are doing one film a year, a DVD of approximately one hour, and there we are posting trailers of these films. Yeah, and you can get these films or buy these DVDs in the Touratech webshop. It's great for me just to be in this interview, just to talk a little bit about adventure. And for me, it's... We've been to Canada last year, to Canada, to the Horizons Unlimited meeting, and it was great for us, for Ramona and me, just to show a little bit of our pictures. We made a, a presentation of the travels we made of our life, and it was, for me, quite interesting that the people always thought about rethink something different. We are not a huge company. We are still living the dream of riding a bike in different countries to live the adventure and not to, to produce parts just to, to make money out of it. It was never our goal to earn a lot of money. We, it was always the goal just for a better riding for us.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to put a, a voice to the company because I, th- I think you're right. I mean, I think a lot of people look at Tour Tech. I mean, it, you know, it, it may be a small company, but it's big in the adventure motorcycle industry. And everyone thinks of it as synonymous as, as BMW, really. Um, so it is easy to picture it as a, a large corporate machine. It's great to talk to somebody like yourself who, um, who is just, a, a you know, you're down to earth. You're, you're very connected with the industry and what your original goal was
1: yeah and I wanna keep this for yeah for the rest of my life. I always wanna ride bikes I always wanna meet new people and I wanna to talk to all travelers that I meet on the way and yeah, that's my life.
0: <laughs> well, you're very lucky, it's certainly a life that um that many people would love to probably swap with you. <laughs>
1: I, it's not a lot of people that I would like to swap with, and I'm I'm really happy with the life and with the people that I met that are are, are helping me to to keep Touratech running. For me, the life with a motorcycle, with a family, with a traveling, it's for me the life I always wanted to have, and I'm happy every day that I
0: I'm in this life. Herbert, thank you very much for sharing your story with us. It was a pleasure for me. Thank you. I've been speaking with Herbert Swartz, the founder and CEO of Touratech. You can find out more about Herbert by checking out the show notes on our website at www.adventureriderradio.com. And we got some great photos there of Herbert's posted as well, so you'll definitely want to drop by and check that out. You can also look him up on Facebook. Well, that about wraps up another episode of adventure rider radio we hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it now it's time to get out and ride your bike ride safe Now, wait, before you go, don't forget to head on over to our website, click on the comment button, fill out the comments, let us know what you think of the show. We get a lot of great feedback. Definitely go over to Facebook and follow us on Facebook. We get a lot of followers on Facebook, and it seems to be going up every day, which we love. It's great. It's a great way to keep in touch. We've been posting some interesting things. you got to check it out if you haven't already. Follow us on Twitter. We even somewhere on Google Plus. I don't quite know where yet, but we're definitely there for sure. (laughs) drop on over drop us a line and of course you can always go by the website and click on the donate button that'll make you feel warm and fuzzy inside and of course make us feel warm and fuzzy because you keep the wheels rolling i'm jim martin and this is adventure rider radio